Praise God. Amen. Let's just come at this time into the Lord's hands and ask that God will prepare our hearts and our minds to receive that which he has for us this day. Father God, we thank you, Lord Father, for a time such as this. And as we sit at your feet, Lord Father, we ask, Lord, that even as you minister unto us, Lord Father, you will make our hearts receptive to your word, Lord Father. And I pray, Lord, that every word that is said, every word of yours that is preached, Lord Father, shall find good soil, shall take root and shall bear fruit in due season. Come into each one of us into your hands, Lord Father, and we pray, Lord, that indeed that which you want to do in us, for us, and through us, Lord, you shall accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, a starting question would be, how many of you are happy that we're getting back to our old normal? I'm sorry, I have to pour cold water on those of you who raised your hands, those of you who clapped, because that is mistake number one. Okay. You see, many of us have gone through uncertain times. They might have, and we might have even wondered, do we have a future? What's there for tomorrow? Now, that's okay. The good news is that God is in control. Am I right? God has always been in control. Corona or otherwise, visa issues or otherwise, whatever be the issue, God has always been in control. He still is. And the fact is he always will be in control. That's not going to change. So don't let your current situation make you doubt your everlasting father, the God of creation. Now, why did I say I'm going, to pour, I'm going to pour cold water on those of you who raised your hands? We are not going back to the old normal. We are looking for a new normal. Amen. Amen. Okay. The old normal is what got us into a mess. In the old normal, God was often in the periphery of our life. In the old normal, God was somewhere around us. But in the new normal, which we are starting, God is bringing it into place. God has got to be in the center of your life and mine. There's no other way. If we have to face our tomorrows, if we have to go on victoriously with everything that's there on offer, we can't do it unless God is there with us. God is there in the center of our lives and we are God-centered. And that's why what we need to do right now is we need to be happy that we are resetting our new normal. We are getting into a new normal. So don't look back and say, I want to go back to those days, to the pre-COVID days. That's history. 
That's history. Look for a new tomorrow. God is creating a new vision. God is creating a new purpose. God is creating a new direction in our lives. And we have got to grasp what God is putting in front of us. What isn't changing is the word of God. That's been there for time immemorial. That's there with us today. And that's going to be there with us in days to come. Okay, so yesterday is history. Today is already half done and is passing by. But look forward to an exciting, God-centered tomorrow. All right. Now, many months back, we started a series to study the longest preaching that Jesus ever made, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. We started with a tale of two builders. We then looked at the Beatitudes. We said that that is the mandate for believers. Then we followed it up by looking at living to a higher standard. And early last month, we tried to understand the heart of God. Today, in the fifth part on this Sermon on the Mount series, we shall look at the everyday practices of the Christian. The everyday practices of the Christian. We have said this in the past, but it's worth repeating, especially for those of you who have forgotten. The Sermon on the Mount teaching was primarily for the disciples and the followers of Jesus Christ. It was not meant for just the onlookers. It was meant to those who chose Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. It was for those who chose to follow the words, the teachings, the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. Yes, there were a lot of other people who listened to the Sermon on the Mount, but the primary target was for those disciples and the followers of Jesus Christ. It was focused on teaching the disciples and followers on how to focus their life and their daily living on what Jesus Christ expected from his followers. It was also meant to help true disciples and true followers to maintain a godly life, to, to live a righteous life in the midst of unholy living and unrighteous people. That was the objective when Jesus took that message on the sermon on the mount. Now today, you and I must take our instructions directly from the word of God. And we need to then think, how do I apply every one of these lessons that Jesus Christ is talking about? How do I apply it in my life? We don't want to study scripture for theoretical head knowledge. There are many who have done PhD on scriptures. We are not like them. We don't want to study it for head knowledge. We want to understand what Jesus Christ is saying. Apply that in our day-to-day -day living. Because Jesus Christ has told us, go and do as I have done. 
go and do as I have said. And that's what we try to do. So please, our objective is, as we listen to the teachings of Jesus Christ, we see how do we take it and apply it in our day-to-day -day living. And that's going to be the start for our new normal. How do we apply Jesus' teaching daily in my life henceforth? And that's why the title of today's message is simply the everyday practices of the Christian. Now, we studied Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 15 last month. And today we will continue from there. We will focus on Matthew chapter 15, sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 onwards, 16 to 34. Now, and we shall study these verses under three major headings. Number one, mandatory tasks to do. Number two, practical questions to ask. And number three, a sure cure. Okay, so those are the three headings under which we are going to look at the portion that we have for this day, Matthew 6, 16 to 34. So let's start with the first one. Number one, mandatory tasks to do. There are three subtasks under this head, two of which we have already seen last month. Verse two of Matthew six. I uh, suggest that you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter six, because that's going to be our main uh, reference area. We may jump about here and there a little bit. Verse 2 of Matthew 6 is when you do a charitable deed. Now, we studied this last time, so I'm not going to go back into it. Verse 5, Matthew 6, when you pray. Now, this also we studied last time, so once again, I'm not going to go into it. Verse 16 of Matthew 6 starts off by when you fast. So can we read that? Verse 16 to verse 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces so that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now you'll see before we address uh, these verses on fasting, you will see that in all the three mandatory tasks that we have to do, Jesus Christ started off by saying when. When you do a charitable deed or when you do your good deed, when you pray, when you fast. He didn't say if you do a good deed or if you pray, if you do fasting. He didn't say that. He said when. It is a given that for every true believer, follower, disciple of Jesus Christ, doing a good deed is mandatory. Praying 
is mandatory. Fasting is mandatory. Okay, that's what Jesus Christ said there. That's why we said that these are called the mandatory tasks to do. The must-do tasks. We can't find excuses for not doing them. Every one of us, all of us sitting here, those of us online, we can't find excuses when you do good deeds, when you pray, when you fast. These are not tasks that you can pick and choose. I will do this, I will not do that. That doesn't apply here at all. Now, when we go back to Matthew 6, 16 to 18, Jesus was talking about when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Do not be like actors. Do not be like those who put on a face and a mask. That they appear to you one thing, but they are inwardly something else. They want you to see one thing. But inwardly, they are something entirely different. Now, allow me to give you the context under which Jesus was talking to his disciples, his followers at this point when he was talking to them on fasting. Take a break. All right, here we go. I'm glad I shaved this morning so no <laughs> grass is sticking out which will pull with this cello tape that's there. Uh, thank you, Brother Whippen. Um, right. So let me give you the context when Jesus was talking to his disciples, followers on fasting. You see, many of the Jews at that time, including his disciples, were under a heavy burden which the Pharisees were putting upon them. The Pharisees were expecting the people to fast twice a week, Thursdays and Mondays. Why Thursdays and Mondays? Because Thursday is the day when Moses went up Mount Sinai and Monday is the day he came down from Mount Sinai. Okay, so Thursdays and Mondays. Those were the days the Pharisees portrayed to a crowd that they were fasting. And that was very difficult for the Jews, for most of the common people, laborers, doing all kinds of things uh, to, to, to do fasting at that point of time. And Jesus was trying to tell them that you don't have to follow this wrong practice. Because what the Pharisees were teaching was not scriptural at all. It was purely their whims and fancies. Okay. We know that the Pharisees fasted twice a week because, you know, we, in, in Luke chapter 18, verse 12, we read the Pharisee saying his prayer. I am not like this publican. I fast twice a week. Okay, so we, it's, they have declared it, that they fast twice a week. But Jesus was saying, don't be under that burden. Don't get oppressed by them. That's not what God expects. You see, the Mosaic law, which was what the Jews were expected to follow at that point of time, stated that every Jew fasted once a year. Okay, now I might be touching uh, uh, nerves here. Okay, but that's what the Mosaic law was. 
fast once a year. It was called the Yom Kippur. Okay, the Jewish festival. Very important. To this day, they celebrate it. It falls on the 10th day of the 7th month of the Jewish calendar. That's not 7th July. It's the 10th day of the 7th month of the Jewish calendar. Okay, Yom Kippur. They start on the ninth evening and it goes on for 25 hours, not 24 hours. They fast for 25 hours. Okay, that was a mandatory fast as per Mosaic law. And that's there in Leviticus 23 verses 26 to 31. Now, addition to this mandatory fast for the Jews, by cultural practice, there were five other fasts that many of them followed during the year. Four times they fasted in terms of mourning. They were called the four fasts of mourning. What were these? One was called the major fast and three were called minor fasts. Major fast was for 24 hours. Minor fast was for 12 hours. Okay. These four fasts were in relation to the destruction of the temple, the first temple of Solomon and the second temple of Solomon. And that's why they are called fasts of mourning. The fifth fast, which the Jews tended to follow, not everyone, it was not mandatory, it was a cultural practice, was called the fast of remembrance or the fast of Esther when they actually remembered the victory that Esther and the Jews of Shushan brought to them. So that was a fast of remembrance. There were fasts of uh, uh, mourning and there was Yom Kippur. In addition to this, any other fast that the Jews did was personal. The, the Pharisees could not mandate it upon them. They could not tell them, you have to fast today, you have to fast tomorrow, you have to fast the next day. No, that was not. It was personal. If somebody chose to fast, that's entirely up to you. God said, when you fast. So fasting is mandatory because the Old Testament is full of scriptures of what you fast for and how you fast. I'm not going into those details, but if you go to, through Old, uh, Old Testament, you will find various scriptures which talk about why do you fast? How do you fast? What do you fast from? Okay, there are various things, and the Jews knew that. But God, Jesus Christ was telling them, that's your choice, but you have to fast. When he fasts, is not the same as when she fasts. Anybody can choose it whenever you want to do. Okay, so every other fast they undertook was of personal choice. So he, Jesus Christ was telling them, I need to take this burden off you that you, the Pharisees are currently compelling you on a twice a week fasting, which is not necessary. When you choose to fast, and that's the message for us today also. Whenever it is, for whatever reason you have, when you choose to fast, don't do it as the hypocrites did. Don't do it as the Pharisees did. Don't put on a sad countenance. Don't let your hair 
uncombed, thankfully I don't have to worry about that, uh, don't wear shabby clothes and don't go and tell the whole world, no, I can't eat today. Oh, I can't drink today. Nobody asked you whether you're eating or drinking. Okay. I wish I could take you for, to a restaurant, but I know I'm fasting today. Nobody asked you that. Okay. So Jesus said, when you choose to fast, don't do it like the Pharisees. Let it not be seen by men. What, what, what are you going to get from them anyway? When you fast, it is personal. It is between you and God the Father. God the Father sees you. So don't try to cheat him. Don't try to put a picture in front of people, but at the same time, you're doing something else behind. When you fast, let it be between you and God the Father alone. So he who sees in secret will reward you openly. Because what you actually want in that fasting, very often there is an objective, a purpose that you're doing it. Sometimes it may be a fast of thankfulness. Sometimes it's a fast of gratitude. Very often it's a fast with a shopping list. I want this. I want that. And I'm going to fast. Okay? Just a shopping list. Okay? It's okay. You, it's between you and God. And when you are doing that, let God see that. And let the answer come from God. Doing good deeds, praying, and fasting are mandatory acts that you and I must do. And we do this in obedience to the words of Jesus Christ, not for the appreciation of men. We do it where God alone can see and hear us and we don't do it for others. Okay, so that's the mandatory tasks. When you do charitable deeds, when you pray, when you fast. Then we come to the second thing. Practical questions to ask. Number two, practical questions to ask. This starts in verse 19. Verse 19 to verse 24, actually. And there are three questions that we have to ask here. And we ask these questions and we do ask for the answer. Okay, remember, they are all meant to be applied. Question number one, verse 19 to 21. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart is, sorry, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? From these three verses, we realize that there are two types of treasures. Number one, treasures that don't last. And number two, treasures that last. What kind of treasure are you, am I, choosing, chasing after? What am I treasuring in my heart that I want to have as my treasure? Earthly treasure will surely be destroyed. 
there's no doubt about it. And it can be any kind of treasure that you have. Think of anything that you possess. It can be destroyed. Moth, rust, whatever else. Can destroy it. So is that where you are putting your treasure? If, it, if it's not going to get destroyed, somebody's going to steal it. So you still don't have it. So earthly treasure is something that just doesn't last. It's either corruptible or is something that people covet from you. Nothing we have on earth, things that we value so much, will actually find a place in heaven. Instead, it is the good deeds you do, the souls you win, the challenges you overcome that will be recorded in heaven. I don't know how it is for in, in most parts of the world, though I would assume that it's, we are not too far away from each other. But I know that in many Asian countries, the one thing we treasure is gold. Okay, gold that you will put from your head to your little toe, one way or the other. Okay. We put it at the top of our head and we put it under the sole of our foot. But the Bible tells us that in heaven, gold is used for pavement. So you are actually wearing pavement. <laughs> I would rather eat a good biryani. <laughs> At least it will give me pleasure for a day. Okay. Now, King Solomon, the wisest, the richest man who ever lived, expresses it so beautifully in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. And let me read it out to you from the New King James Version. He who loves sil silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase, this also is vanity. Now, what about the New International Version? It puts it even more bluntly. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. In 1992, there was a study conducted in the US. And the, uh, the question was this, state your annual income. What annual income would you require to be happy? Simple, okay. People who were drawing, this was in 1992, people who were drawing approximately $25,000 a year said that they would need $54,000 annually. 
to be happy. People who were drawing $75,000 a year said they would require about $160,000 a year to be happy. Nobody was happy with what they had. Everybody wanted double. Those who had 25,000 wanted 54,000. Those who had 75,000 wanted 160,000. More than double. See, that's, that's us. That's who we are. Never satisfied with what we have. And that's essentially what Solomon was saying in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. He said, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. When I was uh, working here, I've, I've heard every year, every year at the end, you know, December, big discussion in the common room, in the staff rooms. Next month is January. Next month is when the increment will come. Next month is when the bonus will come. How much bonus will we get? How much increment will we get? Okay, and then, you know, the, the thing is, we all know the quantum of our increment. You know it. It's, it's, there's, nothing, there's nothing strange about it because it's there in your contract that it is so much percentage. You can calculate it. And then when that actual increment comes in January, they'll say, these fellows cheated me. <laughs> they gave you the exact amount as per what is there in your contract. I was expecting more. I was expecting more. Now, I don't know whether you all talk about this in your offices. Okay. But this is the thing. We are never satisfied. Where is your treasure? And therefore, the question that you and I have to answer today is this. On which treasure is your heart? And that is the new normal that you need to look at. Are you looking for corruptible treasure? Or are you looking for treasure that lasts? The second practical thing that we have to do is this question that we have to ask. The second question we have to ask, where is your vision? Verses 22 and 23. Verse 22, 23. The lamb of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you, that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now this, quest, this statement has nothing to do with uh, ophthalmic surgeons or ophthalmologists or optometrists. Good eye, bad eye. Okay, so don't go to an ophthalmologist and ask him to see, is my eye good or bad? Okay. It's got nothing to do about that. It's a question of where is your vision? Again, there are two parts that are given to us that we could choose from. What is it that you want to walk on? Do you want to walk on the path that is good and generous, obedient to God, 
focused to him and the light he brings us. Absorbing everything that he puts in front of us. Or do you want, on the, want to walk on the path that is self-centered and covetous? Focused on the world, living in darkness, and choosing to see only those things which are of worldly value. Or maybe of no value at all. The choice is ours to make. You see, in the Greek version, where it says, your eye is good. Is your eye good or is your eye bad? The good is essentially described as one who is generous, one who is considerate to the needs of others, one who walks a righteous life. While a bad eye is one who is stingy, one who is arrogant, one who is self-centered, one who does not think about the needs of others at all. But it goes even more than that. Because if you really look at our body, there are only few structures that we have in our body which are portals or entry points into our body. For all of us, there are basically four. And women have an additional one. Now, the eye is a portal. The mouth is a portal. Not what we speak, because that's coming out. The portal is what goes in. Okay. The food that you take, where does it go? It goes to your stomach. It gets digested. And it gets thrown out. Okay. The air that you breathe through the nose goes into the lung. Oxygen is absorbed, carbon dioxide is released, brought out. Your ears, what you hear, your eyes, what you see. Only from the ear and the eye, the connection is direct to the brain. That's your seat of thinking. That's your seat of analysis. That's your seat of reasoning. That's your seat of contemplation. So what you see, what goes into your eye, impacts the brain. What you hear does not come out, though we might sometimes say, you know, what goes in one ear comes out the other ear. Okay. That usually happens in churches, in messages. Uh, but other than that, whatever you hear goes to the brain. So what are you hearing? You know, there's a computer terminology which says, Gigo. What is that? Ah, garbage in, garbage out. That's the same in our body. There's no better computer than our body itself. The brain is, is still the biggest computer, still the best computer. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, your whole body is in darkness. So that's the choice that Jesus Christ was telling his disciples that day on that mount. What is your vision? 
because who you are whether you are going to be light or whether you are going to be darkness is purely dependent on what you internalize so that's where we need to be careful what goes in is part of our vision okay paul puts it across like this in ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 to 12 he says for you were once darkness but now you are light in the lord now please i looked at this verse again because i typed it wrong i typed it as for you were once in darkness but now you are in light of the lord then i went back to the verse i did this yesterday this morning i went back to the verse because something was irking me now i know it's the holy spirit irking me said look at that verse again and so when i looked at it i said i made a typing error it's a typo the verse is for you were once darkness not that you were in darkness you were darkness i was darkness there was nothing good about me at all but now you are light not in the light you are light you are light how in the lord you see and i'm glad that i i uh, i responded to the the promptings of the holy spirit to look at that verse again otherwise i would have told you something that's wrong and you would know better that i'm saying the wrong thing okay so let's continue with verse from verse 8 for you were once darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness righteousness and truth finding out what is acceptable to the lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret darkness we used to have a running joke when uh, when i was in medical school you know in we had this uh, labor room posting we get three months where we have to uh, deliver babies of all of all sizes of all shapes of all forms with all kinds of mothers and all kinds of fathers and grandfathers grandmothers everything and uh, we used to always find that 80% of the deliveries would take place at night not in the daytime daytime you are sitting there wagging your tail just drinking coffee doing nothing 80% of deliveries take place at night so the one guy suddenly you know we have some weird thinking guys so suddenly one guy said why is it that all these deliveries take place only at night why can't they take place in the daytime oh the answer is simple delivery takes place at night because conception takes place at night <laughs> you see so darkness it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret that's where we were 
That's where we once were in darkness, but it's time to move out of it. The problem that many of us face, faced by people over centuries is this. How do I walk with God without giving up the things I cherish on earth? But today we have to ask ourselves this question. Where is my vision? The third question to ask is this. Verse 24. Who do you serve? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is New King James Version. Let me also read for you Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 25. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And that's when Jesus made this classic statement. When Jesus saw this, that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We see in these two passages, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, as well as from Luke, that there are two masters. The choice again is, who do you serve? Is God our master? Or are we slaves to money and to wealth? Now, I referred to five different versions of the Bible. Nowhere is Matthew 6, verse 24, written as, you cannot serve God and the devil. King James, New King James says, it's always like this, you cannot serve God and mammon. NIV, NLT, you cannot serve God and money. American Standard Bible, you cannot serve God and wealth. So please, let us not say the devil made me do it. We, very often we attribute great powers to the devil. He's a defeated fellow. He's lost the battle. You and I are the victors. Don't attribute things to the devil. The problem is we want to do certain things, but we want a scapegoat. And the devil is our scapegoat. You want to do the wrong stuff. You do it. And then when, you're, when it is found out that you have done the wrong thing, the devil made me do it. Check yourself. Check yourself. 
because he can never be your master. You have to choose whether you want to make wealth and money your master or whether you want to make God your master. You cannot serve both. You cannot worship God and some idol at the same time. You cannot love God and remain disobedient to his word. You cannot serve God and be a slave to money and materialism. Today, who do you choose to serve? God or money? The decision is yours. Finally, number three, a sure cure. Now, for lack of time, we will not uh, read these well-known verses, but I would encourage all of you to read them, Matthew 6, 25 to 34, 10 verses. The segment starts by saying, therefore, I say to you, therefore. You see, these 10 verses are not standalone verses, but they must be read in continuation of everything that Jesus Christ has said till now. Now, what has Jesus Christ said till now? Do not do your good deeds before men. Do not pray as to be seen by men. Do not fast by drawing attention to yourself. Lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Choose to have a good godly eye and choose to serve God and God only. This is what Jesus Christ has said till now. Therefore, you see, that's why the therefore is very important. In biblical lexicon, therefore is a very important word. When you read therefore, what was there before that? What is it there for? So therefore, it goes on to say, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. If I was to paraphrase all this, I would put it this way. If your good deeds are only for showing off, you have a lot to worry about. If you pray to gain the praise of men, you have a lot to worry about. If you fast just to appear holy and pious to men, you have a lot to worry about. If your eyes are fixed on earthly treasures, you have a lot to worry about. If your eyes are focused on the things of this world, you have a lot to worry about. And if you are chasing money and earthly goods, earthly wealth, you have a lot to worry about. So you are sure cure to the problem of worry is simply determined by how you deal with all the previous verses. When you do charitable deeds, when you pray, when you fast, where do you lay up treasures? Where is your vision? Who do you serve? If you can answer all of those questions, you have the answer. That's your sure cure. You will not worry. 
You see, in verse 30, Jesus Christ ends that verse by saying, Oh, you of little faith. He's been doing all of this teaching and he comes to the point of saying, Oh, you of little faith. The more you worry, faith becomes shaky. The more you practice what God has taught us, what Jesus has taught us to practice, your faith is strengthened and the hold of worry on your life is loosened. Today, what is expected of you and me? And I'm ending right here. What is expected of you and me? Seek God. I'm not going to the rest of the verses. These are things that we have read so many times. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek God. Seek his righteousness. Seek his kingdom. If there is one thing that you need to carry home with you this day, it's simply this confident hope that you have. God cares for you and for me. God knows your need and my need. Therefore, I will not worry, but I will trust and obey. God bless you all. Pastor Francis.